For all of our guests here today, we want to welcome you in the name of Jesus. Glad that you're here. Our senior minister is on a mission trip to South Dakota, working with the Lakota Indians on their reservation. And uh, he will be back next Lord's Day. Uh, so today it's me. Uh, I'm David Pryor. I'm associate minister of discipleship here. We have been uh, following a theme based on our purpose of being here, the Great Commission. Uh, Christ has gone back to be with the Father, and he left us with the responsibility of taking the good news of salvation to all the world. We've been looking at things that would hinder that, not necessarily things outside, but things inside. Our attitude towards how we deal with things. Uh, and what we need to remember, and this is where we're trying to emphasize this throughout, uh, reminds me of uh, that show, Person of Interest. Anyone remember seeing this one? Okay, it was one of my favorites. I guess I was weird, but <laughs> it would start out, uh, and the words were, you are being watched. And they talked about all of these cameras and this computer program, you know, that, uh, but they were using this to try to prevent crime. And they said, you know, but just be assured, we have your number, okay? Now, I want us to realize we are being watched. We're being watched by people who are outside of Christ, who need the gospel, who are looking for something more. And they oftentimes watch us with a great deal of scrutiny. But we also need to remember, he's watching us always as well. Now, I remember when I was growing up, uh, shortly after I became a Christian uh, at age 17, uh, people back then that, who weren't Christian, they were sort of like watching Christians, looking for hypocrites, looking for some sort of excuse as to why they didn't have to believe like that because, I mean, look at these people, it doesn't do them any good. And so there, this was one of the things that Christians faced back then was people watching for falsehood. They'd say, oh yeah, that's it, not for me, not for me. It's different now. We're being watched, but we're really being scrutinized. And it's not to find the hypocrites, they're looking at those who are sincere and unashamed of their faith and who will take a stand for Christ in the way that they live and then persecute us or prosecute us. And if you are watching what's going on with the news, little by little, you know, we're becoming enemies. And it's because we're standing against what other people want. They want freedom to do what they want to do without God telling them what they need to do. Now, we're being watched for that. And so, uh, these people, though, I, I think they have seen so much hatred, so much bitterness, selfishness. There are a lot of good people out there that are confused by what's going on in our society, and they're thinking, oh my goodness, where's our hope? What can we do? And they're looking to us. They want to know, does your anchor hold? Is your faith secure? Do you really believe this and willing to take a stand? Now, we have some problems here 
that <laughs> we talked about uh, most of the problems you know, within ourselves and the attitude. You know, I, I preached on how, how do we handle tragedies? How do we handle real struggles and trials and people watch us for that? John preached on uh, how we handle temptation. Do people see us taking a stand against things that are morally wrong to do the morally right for God? And today I want to talk to you about one other one that's inside all of us, a problem that uh, is so easy to just fall into. And uh, that's how do we handle it when others hurt us. Okay, has anyone here ever been hurt by something someone said or did? Yeah, okay. Now, here's, here's the thing. Uh, now is the time in our lifetime, more than any other time, when we need to live like Jesus uh, for the sake of other people and for our own because tough times are coming. And now we're gonna get some opportunities to really employ some of the commandments of Jesus in ways that we never have before. Now let me just say something fact that everyone knows. People are gonna hurt you. You've already experienced where they have. Uh, they, they've lied to you, they've cheated on you, they've deceived you, they've betrayed you, they've backstabbed you. Okay, and, and these things come from our spouses sometimes, from family members, they come from friends, they come from fellow Christians, and they come from enemies. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but we want to deal with all of these. You see, no matter how much two people love each other, like for husband and wife, no matter how much they love each other, conflicts are going to arise and there will be things that are said that you can't take back, and it's going to hurt. And then you've got to deal with that hurt in a way that glorifies God, in a way that's really good for you. Now, the question is not if they're going to come, it's when these hurts are going to come. And when they do, we are to choose our response. And God's Word already gives us guidance for the response that we need to make. Now, you know, it's easy being around our friends. Uh, <laughs> our friends team usually bring out the best in us. It's our enemies or people that we don't like or people that don't like us. Uh, they're the ones that make it hard. They, they bring out the worst in us. But now here, here's the thing, we're going to say several things, and I'll start with this. If we're a follower of Christ, and people then do something to hurt us, there are three big no-nos. Number one, don't resent it. Number two, don't retaliate. Number three, don't rejoice when you feel like they're, got what comes, they're getting what's coming to them. All right, now, now why is this? Because all three of these reactions block the love that should be in our heart that we're to give to these people. Like, for example, resentment uh, leads to bitterness, right? Someone will say something to you. Is that love? No, it's you. Well, 
what? You have no right, you know, to do this. And, and, and boy, resentment starts building up. And uh, John Bevere wrote, wrote a book on this and has a study on it. He calls this the bait of Satan. Because Satan's work really starts when we let that resentment come in and take root. Because what this resentment does is it breeds bitterness, it breeds unforgiveness, and it will lead to broken relationships. Right? Okay. Now retaliate. Well, I, we try and retaliate, folk, we're out of bounds. That's not our area. That's God's area. We'll quote a scripture on that in a little bit, but we're not to retaliate. All right, the third, the third one, why we can't is simply because it's, it's not our place. The third one, not to rejoice when you feel like your enemy is getting what's coming to him. Now, how does that damage us? We lose our love. We don't care. You got what you deserve. Doesn't sound loving, does it? We lose our Christ-likeness. That's not the way Jesus treated those who were unkind and hurtful to him. Now, let's look at some of the scriptures. Bring all of this together. Paul wrote in Romans, the 12th chapter, verses 17 and 19. He says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable and do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And then on verse 19, he says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to God. For the scripture says, quoting God, I will take revenge. I will repay. Repay them back says the Lord. Now, you can count on this. If those people who hurt you live long enough and they never repent for the awful things that they've done, they will be judged. But you don't get to sit on the throne and pronounce the judgment. That's God's. And you leave that to him to do at the proper time when he deems necessary. Now, let's talk some more about resentment. This is our first response. And it's, it's like an, a personal attack on us, on, on who we are or who we think we are, okay? And, and we, we are, are first, I don't deserve that. Who are you to do this to me? It's totally unfounded. And, and we, we start letting that resentment build. And before long, if we let that go, then we start obsessing about how much we did not deserve that. In some cases, we might even obsess if we knew we were wrong, how much we did deserve that. But nevertheless, the resentment needs to go. You can't allow bitterness and resentment to destroy you because they will. When we were working with divorce care here, we had this thing that we tried to share with the people. They said, look, you know, unforgiveness it's like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. And here's why. It's going to do you more harm than it does them. Do they really care? No, if they did, they wouldn't have hurt you. They're just going about their merry way. They're not worried about you. 
You're the one that's taken all this in, and you carry it with you wherever you go. You live with it day in, day out. It's on your mind all the time. And it's so hard to forget. Emotional hurt and tension are almost impossible to forget. And the harder we try, <laughs> the more we remember, right? Can't think about that. Can't think about that. Can't, what do you think about that? You know, we've got to remember to forget and try to act like God who chooses not to hold against us what he knows about us and our sins and our faults. Can you imagine God? You know, we go to him and, and we say, oh God, you know, I've, I, I really messed up this time. I want you to forgive me. And God says, hmm, no way. I, you're just coming to me now after all of this that you did. Uh, let, let me tell you all that you've been doing. You've never even asked forgiveness. Why now? What's going on? Ah, you're on your own. That's not our God, is it? And his spirit has been given to live within us and produce his character within us. And he wants us to be like him. Listen to this scripture in Isaiah where God says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. We don't want to nurse our hurts. We don't want to let this bitterness come in because the bitterness will lead to lack of love and unforgiveness. It'll break the relationship and just complicate life all the more. But it will sour our personalities. We become negative, complaining, critical people because we all feel like we have been unjustly treated. And then it begins to show up in our personality in just about everything. And that destroys our witness. We're being watched. And God wants to see that we're handling this like he would handle this. So we, we've got to do this. Now, we choose what we think about, don't we? Yeah, we do. And this is why Paul gives this command in Philippians. He says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are all excellent and worthy of praise. Wouldn't that make your day a little bit more enjoyable than thinking about your hurt? Yeah. So we need to decide what we're going to think about. Now, when others hurt us, we have a lot of choices to make. Scripture gives us guidance. But we have a lot of choices that go along with these, with these questions or with these choices. Do we seek revenge? I think, you know, all of us have been guilty about thinking that. How am I going to get back at him or her for this? You know, we'll show them. No, we, we can't do that. Well, do we have to forgive? I mean, good grief, this is awful. Do we have to? Yeah, we do. Uh, well, should we ever trust them again? Well, now that's a little bit more complicated. But we definitely need to work on rebuilding the relationship. You see, we know what we should do. 
but we wrestle with that. We're supposed to love, we're supposed to forgive, but I think that most of us are like this other speaker I heard one time. He says, I know we're supposed to forgive. I know we're supposed to love everybody, but if God ever changes his mind, I've got my list made out of who's, you know, and, and we sometimes feel that way. You know, surely God, this is an exception. But no, the scriptures are pretty clear. And we need to remember what James said. He said, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. Now, John wanted me to bring up the story about Joseph. <laughs> and that's a good one. Everyone familiar with the story? Anyone not familiar with the story about Joseph? Let me just rehearse just a little bit of it for you. It's in Genesis, the 37th chapter, and then it's where it all starts, and then it concludes in Genesis, the 39th chapter. But he was the son of, of uh, his father's old, Jacob's old age, and so he was really special. And uh, Jacob made him a special coat of many colors, you know, all of this stuff. And his brothers got jealous. But on top of that then, God gave him a dream that he and his brothers were out there gathering the sheaves of wheat and all of a sudden, the sheaves of wheat that belonged to his brothers all bowed down to his. You can imagine how that made the brothers feel. Okay, and then later on, he got this dream, you know, where the sun and the moon and all of the stars, 11 stars, bowed down to him. And they're thinking, who do you think you are? We already know your dad's favorite, but my goodness, this is carrying things. So they decided to kill him. And thankful, thankfully for Reuben, he said, no, let's not kill him. Uh, they put him in a cistern, and while they were trying to decide what to do and making their plans, slave traders come by. So they sell him to the slave traders, and he's taken to Egypt. And he becomes the slave for Potiphar, who was uh, part of the, the Pharaoh's army there. And he was given, you know, responsibility there in the house. But Potiphar's wife, wanted him to commit sin with her, to lay with her, have sex with her. No, 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 completely refuse her. And then on her hardest try, he tries to get away. She's holding on. She pulls his cloak off. And he runs away. And then she makes up a story. I'll get even with him. Refuse me, huh? Okay, I'm going to tell my husband, you were trying to attack me, which she did. And he was put in prison. He spends a lot of time in prison. Now we'll shorten the story. He gets out of prison and eventually he becomes second only to Pharaoh in all of Egypt. And then there's a famine in Israel. And then Jacob sends his sons, go down to Egypt, see if you can buy some grain. And who do they have to deal with? Joseph. Now what's Joseph gonna do? From our human perspective, <laughs> get him, Joseph, you know, get even. I think he kind of wrestled with this, but I think he was so set. He had tried to be faithful to God all along, refusing Potiphar's wife. He had tried to be faithful in everything and be upright and full of integrity. And he wants to do what's right. And still, in spite of what they've done to him, he loves them. Well, you can read the story. And, and know that he made some right decisions. But he was, there's a time there it looked like he was struggling. What should I do? How should I handle this? 
I want to forgive them. I want to make sure that their hearts have changed. But the, the, the great thing was, was what I preached on last time, you know, these trials God uses to grow us. And it's during those times when we should be seeking and say, God, what are you trying to accomplish in my life through this? What is your purpose? Where am I needing to grow? I just need to trust you're in control and wait on you and be patient and, and know that you're, you're going to come through for me. Well, Joseph didn't have the written scriptures to consult, but we do. And God tells us exactly how he wants us to respond when people hurt us. Now, within the context, what I want to talk about first of all is within the context of committed relationships, all right? We've got a lot of people here who at one point said, you know, till death do us part, and you are committed to that relationship. But I already said, and you already know, Regardless of how much you love each other, there's going to be times when conflicts arise and things are said and things are done. What do we do? Well, it's in these committed relationships for spouses, for your employer, where you have some sort of contract or anything else like this, where you are committed that you be faithful to God's Word and to the commands that He's given us and to respond to these hurts with faithfulness I will continue to obey what God says to do. I will be patient and I will seek God's purpose in this and I will wait and I will stay faithful while I wait. And if it's a big thing of hurt, even before I understand how God wants to use this, I'm going to obey what he said and I'm going to forgive. And this is what the scriptures tell us. And we get that from God because, you see, he's in a committed relationship to us, isn't he? Absolutely. And God is going to be faithful to us. In fact, uh, 1 John 1, 9 says, you know, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? He's in a committed relationship. And we're in a committed relationship to our spouses and also to our brothers and sisters in Christ. <laughs> we hate to think about this, but don't hurts come up within a congregation of believers? Yeah, why? We've got an enemy that works full time to try and create division and try and destroy the unity that Christ wants us to have through loving one another. So with these committed relationships, we need to be faithful and we need to let God's Spirit do His work in our lives. Paul wrote in Romans, the second chapter in verse four, he says, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? especially if it's a sin of not loving and not forgiving. You see, all of this interferes with his nature, his spirit that's living within us. We need to reflect that. And the greatest attribute of God is his love. 
His love was what made that grace work. His love was what made him send his one and only son to redeem us and bring us back. It's the love. And Jesus said, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And Satan knows that, and so he's going to try and destroy that love. Can't allow him to do that. We look at 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. You're familiar with this. There's some things that you don't know. Usually it says love is, and then it starts describing it like love is an adjective. Love is not an adjective, not the kind that we're talking about. There is a noun form of it. But in the Greek, the way that this is translated, it's in an ing form of that word. So we would read it like this, love is being patient. Not just love is patient, it's being patient. It's being kind. Love is not being jealous. It's not being boastful or being proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. We can't write someone off our list. Love never gives up. It's going to keep hoping. It never gives up. It never loses faith. It is always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. Now, God makes it clear this is what's to happen in committed relationships. We need to honor our commitments to others more than our own feelings and our own desires sometimes. In other words, when you're hurt, here's what we do. Choose the relationship, not yourself. Choose to restore the relationship, if it is at all possible, with anything that you can do. Don't let the hurt and the bitterness stay and poison your soul and who you are. Now, we want to put a note here because this is really important. Jesus does not emphasize, underline, does not endorse abuse. Extreme cases do demand extreme action. And turn the other cheek does not mean never leave an abusive and genuinely dangerous situation. I know that there have been marriages where there has been physical abuse. Do we just keep turning the other cheek? Do we become a doormat and let them keep on abusing and keep on abusing and keep on abusing? No, put a stop to it. Separate yourself. And then start working on the other person in a very special way. I want to get that in a minute, but let, let me just say this. It's not the, we're going back now to the committed relationships that, that are good, not involving abuse. We're talking about hurts, emotional hurts, okay? It's not the absence of conflict that preserves a relationship. It's the ability to manage the conflict when it happens. Okay? And so what we need to do is practice the kind of self-control that keeps conflicts from mushrooming into hurtful and divisive standoffs. Now we, I, I've given this advice to others if you have a trouble with being able to forgive someone, you know, we were already talked about choose what you think about, okay? 
You refuse to think about it. You refuse to talk about it. You never put this on a list and add to it so that you can recall it again and again and again. And every time that you're with that person, you act and you speak in God-honoring ways. Okay, and this is how we begin to heal the conflicts. It doesn't mean that you have to be buddy-buddy with this person. There are people, they don't want a relationship with you. What can you do about that? But you've got to guard your heart and don't let hate and bitterness and unforgiveness and lack of love come in. Paul also wrote this to the Colossians. He said, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. He also wrote, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, what about people that we are not really committed to in relationship? Who would these be? Well, they're our enemies. <laughs> people that don't like us, they're not related in any way, it's, it's all this. But they're, they're going to hurt us. I think we need to think forward a few years and know that eventually seven years of tribulation are coming. It's going to get horrible for Christians and for the church, and we will be persecuted as never before. And yet it's inspiring to read in this periodical that's published by Voice of the Martyrs how oftentimes those who are torturing the prisoners are converted because of the love that these people show to their torturer. Well, now that's accomplishment, isn't it? To be able to love in spite of all of that, but isn't this what God says? Love your enemies. They're not an exception. He didn't say, oh, they, they, they don't like you anyway. They're not for you. They're working against you. You don't have to love them. No. We were one time enemies of God, objects of his wrath, and he forgave us. You know, the golden rule that we talk about, do unto others as you would have others do unto you, this is right in the midst of Jesus' comments and his teachings about how to treat our enemies. And it begins like this, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. And remember, throughout the Bible, love is not a feeling. It's an action. And to love an enemy means to intentionally treat him well in, in, in intangible ways where he knows I'm being treated well. It's genuine and sincere and loving. Proverbs 24 says, don't rejoice when your enemies fall. Don't be happy when they stumble. For the Lord will be displeased with you and will turn his anger away from them. Don't fret because of evildoers. Don't envy the wicked. For evil people have no future. The light of the wicked will be snuffed out. 
And Peter's told us God takes no delight at all in the death of those who are unsaved. Says he is not willing that any should perish. Also, Proverbs says this, if your enemies are hungry, you want some tangible ways to treat them. If your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they're thirsty, give them water to drink. You will heap burning coals of shame on their heads and the Lord will reward you. And then pray for those who hurt you. It doesn't get any more specific than this. When the person who hurts us is an enemy, a stranger or someone we're, we're not committed to, we're to pray for them. And I don't mean just God bless so-and-so that's my enemy. No, what I'm talking about is you pray for their good. Pray that they will be forgiven. Pray that, uh, uh, that they will make things right with God. Pray that all of Jesus' dreams for them will come true. Pray that you can somehow help them. If you saw the movie Hacksaw Ridge, this is one of John's favorites. I've never seen it, but boys told me about it a lot, and, and I just really admire this, the hero of that. Uh, and the, he was a man who was disowned by his father, rejected and beaten by his comrades in the army because he was a conscientious objector. Okay? Now, uh, he was also legally prosecuted by his superiors. But Desmond said this, and, and this was his attitude towards it all. He says, while everybody else is taking life, I'm going to be saving it. And with the world so set on tearing itself apart, it doesn't seem like such a bad thing to me to want to put a little bit of it back together again. Wow. Wow. Well, if everything else in our world that's going wrong and falling apart, we don't want to contribute to it. We want to do our part to try and put it back together, try to heal some hurts, try to be people that can give some hope and some stability and some integrity, and people who can share the gospel with people who will look at us and say, this person believes it. I can see that in their life. It's just like Jesus was here speaking to me. That's what we want when we tell the good news. But Jesus says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. But listen to this one. It comes from Peter. He says this, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this, you were called, called to be like Jesus. To this, you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And you read on, it says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And brethren, that, that's what we've got to do. Do your part to obey. Do your part to be Christ-like and reflect the Spirit of God within you. This, this is our part. 
and to pray for those others. God wants them saved too. And he wants us saved. And if we become unwilling to forgive, we don't get forgiveness either. Jesus made that plain. So we've got to focus on the love with the love story that we're sharing with people for their salvation. As always, what are you going to do? I want to ask you, do you have someone in your life that's really hurt you badly and you just can't get over it? You can get over it. You make a decision to obey and do what God wants you to do. And then you do what you can. If the other person doesn't want, you're not responsible for it, but you're responsible to do what you could do to bring healing. And this is important for your spirituality. It's important for your witness. So I want you all this week, be praying about that as we continue to look at what's going on inside of us that's interfering with us being effective in our sharing Christ with others. So as we stand and sing, just be praying about this. Of course, the invitation time is always open. Do you, want, you want prayer? Come forward. We'll pray with you. You want to give your life to Christ? Now's a good time. Today's the day. You want a place for your fellowship with this congregation? Love to have you. But it's decision time for you to make whatever decision God is leading you to do at this point. So we leave that with you as we sing.